ahead and take your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land, green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Chris Henry, the museum manager, and across the table from me... Tom Sharpentier, Government Relations Director, and Chris, congratulations on the new title. Hey, well, appreciate it. Thank you. Looking forward to, to leading the museum here. So uh, with us today is Bill Goble, and Bill is going to uh, talk to us a little bit about a really special restoration they're working on. Uh, Bill, welcome to The Green Dot. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, let us talk a little bit about uh, your history before we jump too far in. Uh, how did you first get interested in aviation? Uh, my dad was an airline pilot, but he um, he was World War II pilot and all that. And um, growing up, we always had an aircraft. I always thought garages were for putting airplanes in because that's where uh, he always had an airplane he was working on one way or another. Um, but, uh, my three older brothers were pilots. I was a, uh, I was the kid that got left at the, uh, airport, um, back in the day. But, uh, then again, you know, back when the earth cooled, uh, I had glasses in the fourth grade, so there was no way I was ever going to be a pilot. So, you know, which sounds crazy today. So, uh, I just kind of hung out in the hangar out at the local airport and messed around with mini bikes and working in the shop there and whatnot, helping out. And, um, kind of was on the nuts and bolts side of the family for a bit. And I think my dad was a bit of a frustrated aircraft mechanic. So he was always restoring aircraft. He'd done a uh, Piper J4, uh, Stinson V77, uh, Buell Bullpup, uh, then all sorts of uh, Cessnas and Pipers and whatnot through the years. So that's kind of grew up at the airport, um, kind of goofing around with airplanes. So that's kind of my background. And then went to school uh, real quick, went to school in Florida, Embry-Riddle, Picked up my AMP, whatnot. Um, got on with Bell Helicopter, did that for a few decades. Uh, General Electric for a decade or so, and then uh, Airbus Helicopters just recently. And had was fortunate enough to uh, be able to uh, go off my own here a few years ago. Wow, that's that's awesome! What a what a great uh, uh, career, sort of in your blood there, if you will. Yeah, yeah, second generation. That that's really cool. Just out of curiosity, what did your dad uh, fly, or what did he crew on uh, during the war? Uh, he flew the uh, B-24. Uh, he flew B-24 on his sixth mission. He was shot down over Belgium. Very, actually, quite a story on its own. Um, underground had him within, uh, the uh, Belgian underground had him within about 45 minutes with papers, with clothing, and uh, with safe houses. And they were able to get him over to Switzerland uh, through the, uh, the railroad, so to speak, the uh, underground railroad there, helping them, uh, all the uh, flyers. And... Uh, so it was, it was quite quite a story on its own. Um, then he got to Switzerland and then came back later in the war and taught. Uh, he was an instructor pilot down in South Texas uh, with the Air Corps. Oh, very cool. B-24 is uh, a very special airplane in the war, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, so how did you get involved in the project uh, that you're, we're going to talk about today, a really special uh, Twin Beach restoration you guys are working on? Uh, can you Tell us a little bit about how you got involved with it and, and, and about the history of the aircraft. Yeah, well, first off, we'll kind of we'll I'll just throw real quick what the aircraft is. It's a uh, twin beach, uh, an E18S uh, super twin beach. Um, a super twin beach means it has a high cabin, but this aircraft is a uh, it's just a 1954 twin beach. Um, originally delivered to a, ship, a an oil company in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They used it for several years and then they sold it to a shipping company over in fort smith arkansas 
And then they sold it. And again, it went back to the local Beechcraft dealer, probably on trade-in type stuff. And then it uh, was owned by Jackie Cochran. Uh, Jackie Cochran, the director of the World War II Wasps. So she had it as a personal ride for a year or two. She didn't fly it a whole lot. But uh, our folks have apparently worked with the uh, Smithsonian a little bit. And this appears to be the last aircraft that Jackie actually owned uh, and flew. Actively flew as pilot in command. So it's kind of, um, to that point, it's quite dear to our hearts. After that, it uh, Merv Griffin, who talk show host of the day, flew it, and he flew the heck out of it. A lot of, uh, a lot of personalities were in the aircraft, uh, back and forth. Um, names you would, you, uh, you're familiar with today. Uh, Clint Eastwood, Burt Reynolds, Gene Hackman, those types. They were starting in their careers, or they were just uh, early in their careers. But Merv used it just as a taxi cab back and forth around the L.A. Basin and then also uh, the occasional junket to Vegas or uh, over to Palm Springs and whatnot. So he flew it for about eight years, went through a couple other owners and then hauled a little dope. <laughs> you know, it's it's dark history, <laughs> which, um, you know, at Twin Beach in the uh, in the 80s, hauling dope was not an uncommon thing. Unfortunately, they as these aircraft were kind of being outcast. Um and then uh, it was the best thing that ever happened to it because then the DEA impounded and it got caught. DEA got it and uh, was fortunate enough through uh, public um, property type stuff. The local community college, uh, college, Tarrant County College, picked it up as a maintenance trainer. And there it sat for about 30 years. And it was just used to do the occasional engine run and change carburetors and whatnot uh, just as a maintenance trainer. And it was kind of forlorn, sat outside. Then about 10 years ago, a gentleman by the name of Kurt Landrum, one of the uh, instructors out there, and his crew were going through the logbooks, and they said, holy moly, Jackie Cochran owned this thing. So they started a uh, kind of a restoration effort on it, and um, we're working on it. No funding, no real funding, no real schedule, no real um, uh, dedicated manpower because they were uh, – it's a college. So – it kind of languished there. Flip side, I was on the advisory board, uh, worked with a couple of the folks, uh, several of the folks on the advisory board. And as I was chairing the advisory board, having lunch with the uh, dean out there, I said, "What? so what are you guys doing with the Twin Beach? He said, well, you know, we're fixing it up. I said, okay, so let me get this straight. You've talked to the president downtown about flying a 70-year-old airplane with radial engines and a tailwheel to air shows with the school's name on it. He said, well, no. I said, what do you think their answer is going to be? Probably not good. I said, well, on that note, get rid of that piece of junk. <laughs> so <laughs> so I was the uh, I was the Antichrist amongst the folks on the uh, at the college because I wanted to – it's like, guys, we're not a museum. The best place for this thing is at a museum. So about three years ago, the um, college processed the aircraft through uh, some bids and, and uh, solicitations and – it was um, it was um, settled that the aircraft would go to the Vintage Flying Museum. Now, on a side note, I was also working with um, Charlene Chucky Hospers and Bill Gorin, uh, both of the museum on the advisory board for the college. So this past spring, uh, spring of twenty one, I had done it. I'd, I'd been on the uh, board for about five or six years. I said, you know, my I need to do something a little bit different. So I kind of uh, said farewell, and then. Um, was up at AirVenture, uh, talking with Bill, uh, having a few beers. And then we came back to Fort Worth after AirVenture and had a few pitchers of beer. And then for some reason, somehow I volunteered 
to run the project for them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, that's kind of how I got that stuck to my shoe. And uh, the biggest thing we we uh, talked about is this is going to be a full throttle effort. This is not going to be a lifestyle. Um, so in last September, we laid down the groundwork that this aircraft, our goal is to have this aircraft airworthy flying one July 23. Um, that is our goal. It's a push goal, but we think we can make it. The aircraft is in pretty humble shape, but um, it's got good bones. So we're, we feel pretty confident on that note. Wow. Uh, yeah, it is ambitious, but uh, but but wow, what a what a history behind the airplane! Um, and to back up for just a second for for those of our listeners who might not be familiar, could you describe the Twin Beach really quickly and maybe just a little bit of history about the type? Yeah, Twin Beach is actually a very interesting aircraft. Um, and for those that really want to get into it, there's a book by Bob Parmenter that has more than anyone could acknowledge or absorb on the Twin Beach. Big quick story, the Department of Commerce back in the late 30s was trying to grow the um, air, air, uh, the transportation industry, I guess, the air transportation industry. So they put solicitations out for a light twin engine aircraft, and Lockheed came out with the 10 and 12, and Beechcraft came out with air aircraft. So this design goes back to the late 1930s. Uh, they had smaller engines, and then the uh, aircraft eventually evolved around World War II timeframe with two... R-985, 450 horse uh, engines, nine-cylinder engines, retractable landing gear, uh, both uh, main gear and tailwheel. And then depending on the interior configuration, it could have anywhere in the military configuration, it had four or five uh, seating for four or five, including the pilot. And then some of the higher density ones were uh, six, seven, possibly eight people on the back. Our personal aircraft was, uh, it was sold in 1954 as a corporate aircraft. It has always been a corporate aircraft. It had never been um, a freighter. It has just a single door in the back with an air stair. So this was kind of the the uh, apogee or the peak of the Twin Beach toward the getting toward the end of its life. Uh, I believe they built them through into the 70s. So, uh, but uh, very, very uh, neat aircraft. Um, reasonably sized cabin. And then that aircraft evolved into... Uh, the King Air, the Queen Air, the King Air, and whatnot, those kinds of aircraft. Um, so it was kind of a that that point on the timeline of Beechcraft. Uh, very nice aircraft, good size aircraft. This aircraft has a gross weight of 9,700 pounds, so it's it's really no lightweight. It's it's a big it's a big dog. Wow, yeah. Uh, no, thanks for that history. I actually didn't know um, yeah. that that explains a lot about why the uh, the Lockheed is very similar to the Beach 18 in terms of proportions and configuration. And was the Howard from the same era too? Uh, was that off the same contract? I, uh, I don't know. That there were a couple others that were, I would say, no names or smaller manufacturers that came out yeah. with the deal. And, and I don't know how the world worked back then with the Department of Commerce, if there was a, a winner or if it was just grant money. But the designs, yeah, the designs that survived, probably because of their uh, common sense or their uh, utility, was uh, were the Beach and the Lockheed. Uh, if you've flown the two aircraft, the Lockheed will jump off the ground quite a bit faster than the Beach. But the Beach, um, now I sound like a Beach person. The <laughs> Beach has that be Beach has that Beach feel. I mean, it's <laughs> it's the ride, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's really neat too because I mean, it's it, it's a it's a classic twin radial engine airplane that's actually, you know, 
achievable for people to, the, you know, in the in in twenty twenty three to actually own and fly, which is really cool. You see a lot of them at AirVenture. Yeah, they're very actually they're very um, gettable, so to speak. To your point, um, they are a twin radial engine. Uh, some of them are the World War II Warbirds, which are kind of cool. Um, it is a complex airplane. I would say. Working on this, it's more complex. Uh, if you've ever talked to anyone, it's a little more complex than a DC-3, quite a bit more complex because it's lots of fiddly little bits where the DC-3 is more like a big Aztec. Um, so it's it's typical Beechcraft, lots of little things, but it's, um, it's very procurable, very operable. Uh, you can expect, I think, about 50 gallons an hour um, running both engines. But um, you can also run, I mean, talk about loading the thing up. Uh, you can really pack it up. We've got uh, the big fuel. The I think I forget what we've got hours wise on fuel. I think we've got five or six hours of fuel on board that we can put in this thing. We've got the uh, inboard tanks, and then we also have another two hundred gallons in outboard wing tanks. So uh, we can actually go quite quite a distance. It's and that's and that's uh, kind of to the point of a corporate transport. That is our goal on this aircraft on restoration is. We will uh, hopefully get toward the point where we can get the interior restored to 1954. So it'll really be the golden age of corporate transportation. So for those who uh, maybe are listening and are not familiar with Jackie Cochran, um, you know, Jackie Cochran really, uh, along with uh, Nancy uh, Love, was the um, they were the leaders of the WASP program. The WASP uh, was a program. Uh, developed during World War II to allow uh, women pilots uh, to help ferry aircraft from the factories and deliver them to the military. Um, and they also did things like target towing and uh, different training, um, you know, a, a various roles. It was uh, really interesting because, we, you know, we heard and we hear so much about Rosie the Riveter and the arsenal democracy. And I think it's a little lesser known uh, that we had this big buildup uh, but we had such a big buildup with so many of our, our male pilots deployed in combat that we needed to keep that supply chain going. And it was the WASP that uh, really helped do that, uh, keep uh, keep those aircraft rolling off the assembly line and being actually delivered to the bases where they can be deployed. Um, so having an airplane flown by Jackie Cochran, who the WASP program just – one of many of her aviation achievements. Uh, I mean, you can go back into her air racing days or even, you know, um, you know, her sound barrier uh, uh, days, flying T-38s, things like that, or F-86s. Uh, she has flown a lot of, of amazing airplanes. So, yeah, this is this is such an important airplane to preserve. Yeah, it's, it's uh, to me, it's, it is a, uh, uh, in fact, if you remember um, Mikey McBride with Ice Pilots, um, he brought the uh, DTD, the the uh, C-47 down to Air Venture a few years ago. And we, we were talking with him and I said, we, you know, we, we were talking about that. And I said, you know, the key to the success and the notoriety of that program was the fact that it had a noble cause. They got an aircraft that had been forlorn. They returned it to flight, which is huge. But not only that, they did it on D-Day, which was even a, a, a greater, a greater uh, salute, so to speak. Um, and that was one of the reasons why uh, I agreed with Bill and Chucky that I would um, quarterback this for the team. Is it is as far as I'm concerned, this aircraft has a noble cause. It's uh, it's going to be a good thing. The you know to Jackie's end um, as an homage to her. What the museum plans to do on this is to um, use it for 
women, um, basically ed- educating and promoting women uh, in aviation trades, pilots, mechanics, engineers, operations, dispatching, whatever, but really uh, promoting women, young women, um, and get them into aviation, get them hooked on aviation. That's uh, that's kind of the big key to this whole thing. The neat thing about this aircraft is instead of, say, hopping a ride in a Cessna 150 or 172, we can put six women in that aircraft plus a pilot, which we would really prefer to be a woman. Um, and then while you're flying, you can hop the seats, which is kind of neat. So you can hop the, pi- the co-pilot seat and get everybody the experience of sitting up front, which I think is, is really going to be fun and enjoyable. So that's that's a big thing. Um, and even Jackie. Jackie was a, I kind of refer to her as an enigma surrounded by a conundrum. Very interesting character or a personality. Not really character, but very interesting personality. And she had some tough things going on. Um, and she, you have to remember, for the day, she was measured um, to man scale, so to speak. So you'll see a lot of pictures of her. She's not smiling or this or that. And um, it was tough. It was really tough. But she did a lot. Um, and even to that end, the aircraft, when we inherited it, it had said uh, uh, under the cockpit, it said to Jackie Cochran, director and then up on the side of the aircraft it says wasps and we're actually taking that jackie cochran director off under the cockpit well why would you you know that's what's that all about well what it's all about is when jackie owned it she was colonel jacqueline cochran retired united states air force and we're also putting her service ribbons under the cockpit window so she did some big stuff and uh and that's that's what it's all about is to is to give the respect to that that kind of position. So she did some really good things promoting women, wasps, and with Nancy Loving with the ferry command and all that. So just, we want to keep that thread going. That's fantastic. That is really cool. And uh, I think it's going to be a really unique uh, aircraft to see out on the air show world. Um, yeah. So let me ask you, what's some of the biggest um, hurdles? What, what's some of the hardest things on restoring a beach 18? This is sound fil- silly. Um, Nut plates, screws, and nut plates. Uh, <laughs> a twin beach has a zillion screws and nut plates. This aircraft has sat out for, again, sat outside essentially for the better part of thirty plus years at the uh, college because it was it was just an old twin beach. So as a result, it um, a lot of stuff got rusty on the outside of the aircraft, and we are if we've replaced one nut plate, we've probably replaced about. Uh, 200 or so we're just replacing a lot of the access panels the panels themselves are in pretty good shape um the biggest challenge on this is while the college had it they moved their campus twice so where the aircraft was based so as a result it um things got misplaced it's kind of like moving you know if you moved your apartment or house you know you know you your stuff is in a box somewhere but you're not sure where. So that's been some of the uh, some of the uh, challenge that we've had. The other thing is with a 40-year-old aircraft, this had, aircraft has not flown or needed to be airworthy for 40 years, is every rubber hose, as you would imagine, is um, every rubber hose is kind of rotted out and in terrible shape. So that's what we're working on right now is to change every piece of, and that's uh, hydraulic hose, um, lubrication hose, and fuel hose. Um, all of that stuff. So we're, we're working through that. Um, and we're just eating the elephant one bite at a time. The team we have is just phenomenal. I can't ask for a, a better bunch of volunteers. 
Some of them are uh, have been with the museum. Some have been of them have been with the aircraft since it came from the college, uh, and then others are just completely new to both the museum and the project. So it's it's really kind of kind of a real enjoyable group of folks. Yeah, Bill, uh, tell us a little bit more about the museum, the Vintage Flying Museum. Um, uh, where is it, and um, and do you have any other aircraft that are in the collection? Um, yeah, actually, the uh, Vintage Flying Museum it was established in 1990 by. Uh, Dr. William Hospers and uh, his wife, um, Charlene Chucky Hospers. You remember the B-17 um, Chucky? Well, that aircraft is now Yield Pub. Uh, it's gone through a few owners, and it's up in uh, up in the Northwest, and it's Yield Pub now. But uh, that aircraft was the beginning and the uh, the core of the Vintage Flying Museum. When Doc and Chucky had the uh, that aircraft, they started the Vintage Flying Museum, again, uh, back in 1990. Um, and... Uh, as a result, they they had that. Then they were able to get uh, pick up a piece of property that was adjacent to the aircraft or adjacent to the um, uh, airport itself on Meacham Airport. Then through uh, then the FAA kind of got into closing access, so they went through a period where they couldn't even get their aircraft to the runway. Fortunately, uh, Level heads prevailed, and now the uh, aircraft are, are able to get in. But right now, we've got uh, Special K is based at uh, the air, the uh, museum. That's a uh, A26, and I'll probably get it wrong, but it's a, a A26K or B26K. I guess A26K. They've got another B26 with the Commemorative Air Force that's currently undergoing a uh, some engine work that's coming back. We've got the uh, C4. It's not a C47. It's a C40 or C-51 or 49, I forget what it was. Um, and that's, uh, and I, I've drew a blank right now, but uh, that's based there bunch with a, with a whole bunch of uh, other aircraft. We have T-37, Stearman, um, trying to think, Cubs, uh, T-6s, T-28s. Uh, we've got a Hiller 12 helicopter, Brantley helicopter, uh, Ronca Chief, uh, Cessna 140. Over in the other hangar, the uh, static hangar, we've got a uh, Piaggio Royal Gull. We've got uh, V-77 Stinson, another Stearman, another Twin Beach. Um, and just uh, we've got, also have an L-5 over in the flying hangar. So it's a very, very busy place, uh, kind of a neat place. Um, Bill Gorn, the director of operations, has done a Herculean amount of work getting the uh, working with uh, Chucky, getting the museum uh, up to really up to snuff. And with hopefully big plans for the future, so it's it's a great place. We've got a lot of uh, visitors. We just had a big entourage from Finland come in, but we've had it's kind of neat as we're working on the aircraft to see some of the visitors that come through, and the visitors that come through from other countries. You probably see the same thing up there at uh, at the museum up in Oshkosh. Yeah, we absolutely do. And uh, wow, that does sound like an amazing collection. Um, I the uh, the B twenty six K in particular. That's one of my favorite flying restorations of late. Uh, you just never see B twenty six A twenty sixes in that Vietnam configuration, which is uh, really really neat to see. Yeah, they've they've got a great team over there. So the the way the museum is set up, it's kind of um, kind of to make it simple. They've got their aircraft, so to speak. The, and really the aircraft they have is is not that many, just a few, but they're more of a tenant. So they've got uh, Challenge Air, which has their T-37 and a Globe Swift. They do, uh, that's a 501C3 on its own. They do their, uh, they do flights with um, special needs folks. 
You've got um, Special K. That's another kind of its own organization. They're a, a tenant. We've got the uh, Commemorative Air Force B-26 in the other corner. That's kind of its own tenant. So it's kind of neat to see a kind of a, a gathering, so to speak, of, uh, of common causes and good aviation pursuits there. That's awesome. And uh, sorry, Meacham Field, you said that was Fort Worth, Texas? Yeah, Meacham Field, Fort Worth, Texas is a Foxtrot Tango Whiskey. The neat thing, too, is um, is the museum is typically open Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, 10 to 5. Um, and what's also neat is if you're flying, you can fly up to the gate. We'll open up the gate, and uh, we've got to keep the gate closed because of all that TSA silliness. But uh, you can taxi right up to the front door, and we'll welcome you with open arms. That sounds awesome. We'll have to drop in sometime. Oh, definitely. Oh, that's awesome. I, I assume you're going to, uh, when this airplane is up and running, you're going to make the trek and take it over to, to Sweetwater at some point, right? Yeah, it's actually, that's kind of neat. We've worked with, uh, we went over, we took a, a cadre over a few, uh, I guess about a month ago or so, went over and uh, talked with Lisa over there, and pardon my not having all my notes in front of me, uh, Lisa, the museum director, she is um, absolute fabulous people. It was interesting in that Vintage Flying Museum and the museum at Sweetwater, the uh, Wasp Museum, were they were the both, the down, you know, the the two candidates for this aircraft. Um, and we went over there. Uh, I was expecting there might be a little hostility with Lisa. And she, she said, hey, listen, you know, there's no way we could have taken on that project to the level that you guys are doing it. So it's in the best home possible. But that is another, uh, a definitely another must-see, a fabulous museum. They've got a, uh, they've got a primary trainer, Sturman. They've got a uh, BT-13 uh, Volte. They're, they've got a, uh, they also have a uh, Cessna Bobcat. Um, lots of neat displays, very neat interactive stuff. So definitely um, first class. They've done a very nice job over there. Uh, really, really kind of neat. In fact, one of the things I, I do on my on this project i've got my own youtube channel uh hangar rats and we do a weekly update on the hollywood bomber but we also did a uh, we did a video with lisa and she was just the most gracious host uh just absolute fabulous time even uh, she even took us out to lunch and uh, drove us drove us out to go get some lunch downtown so it was it was a it's just a really nice place sweetwater texas is uh definitely uh put that again on your if you're driving by flying by Definitely worth stopping in. So, you know, I've got to ask, um, have you done much in the way of research to see if there's any uh, good photos out there, A, with, you know, with, with Jackie at the airplane, and then, of course, with, you know, some of the celebrities that flew on it? Is there, uh, uh, do you guys have a site out there or anything like that, or have you found a lot of photos of it? Uh, some of the things I've been doing is, and, and I'm I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of, <laughs> I, I do the, the weekly videos, um, I'm running the. Uh, I, I have. To, I'm kind of in charge of buying the parts, planning the work, doing all the other stuff. But one of the things that's kind of neat is in the logbooks for the aircraft when Merv Griffin owned it, and uh, that's one of the reasons we called it the Hollywood Bomber because it wasn't just about Jackie. Jackie was definitely part of the history, and and again, the history is continuing, which is very neat. But uh, when Merv had it, his his pilot. Um, he wrote who was flying in the back of the aircraft on most all the flights, which is kind of neat. So we lo are looking in the books and, you know, we see Clint Eastwood, we see Burt Reynolds, we see Gene Hackman. And then 
you know, Merv had a talk show. So, so uh, one of our folks in the group, uh, Katrina, she uh, does a lot of genealogy and some ancestry type stuff. Um, she's with the DAR, um, doing a lot of research with them. So we said, okay, and just say, for instance, Clint Eastwood was on the plane on the 1st of June. Why, why was Clint Eastwood on Merv Griffin's plane? And then she dug deep, she dug a little deeper and then got into IMDb movie database and things like that and found out that say six weeks later. And just for instance, you know, outlaw Josie Wales came out. Well, you know, Merv was all about, you know, bringing new talent in. And then also a lot of it, just like talk shows today, it's promotion. So it's kind of neat to see the thread of that kind of stuff going on. Now, we have reached out with some folks. We've been fortunate enough to um, have the original owner's company, Williams Brothers, which is now Williams Company, oil company. They actually came down and did some video with us. So we're hoping that that'll be coming out soon. But they... Uh, I had just out of the blue sent an email to their uh, to their communications email, and then I got a call back from their chief of maintenance, and he said, "Hey, we've got all these models of all these airplanes we owned, and we didn't know what this red twin engine twin tail thing was down here, but you apparently have our old airplane." So we were able to get pictures from them of the aircraft in 1954. And they actually have the model that Beechcraft gave them, which is very neat. So it's it's those kinds of connections. It's hard to do right now. We're busy with other things, but we're kind of doing that on the side. Getting the Hollywood types is a little bit harder. You can't just kind of uh, dig and, and get to an email contact. A lot of those folks are all, and as you would expect, they're, they're managed by agents. So a lot of it's filtered and all that. So we haven't been into that as deep as we would like to but uh we we have been trying to get that the aircraft flew under about oh 10 n and num- n numbers so we've been trying we put things out on different facebook groups to try to get folks to put some uh see if they have any pictures we know that everybody took a picture of an airplane when they bought it so we just have to find those but it's they're in you know each individual's collection somewhere that's awesome. Just out of curiosity, as you're going through the restoration, uh, I guess two questions that popped up into my head are, uh, how do the engines look? Are they pretty uh, good? Are they going through a rebuild? And then what kind of equipment are you going to put in the cockpit as far as like instrumentation, things like that? Yeah. As far as the engines go, we, as far as we know, and I have not laid eyes on it personally, but uh, working with the folks there, the engines are about mid-time, which is okay. Um we assume that the engines, uh, I'm assuming that when I uh, run the engines, I'll probably have some, a couple cylinders fall out and whatnot, just because it's it's been about, I think last time the school ran the engines was about 10 years ago. So there's that. But the propellers have been overhauled. They're a Hartzell three-bladed steel hub propellers. Those have been overhauled. The magnetos are currently uh, being overhauled courtesy of uh Aircraft inject or aircraft ignition services up in Honey Grove, Texas. They have uh, kindly, very kindly uh, supported getting all the magnetos overhauled. Carburetors are overhauled by um, aircraft carburetor injection service in uh, Dish, Texas. Those guys. So we've got fresh magnetos, fresh um, carburetor. Um, starters were just overhauled by S&T down in San Antonio or New Braunfels. The uh, QAA Hartzell, out of the goodness of their heart, they have donated to JASCO regulator systems, which will save us probably 
a good 50 pounds of, of weight just to get rid of some of the old stuff. But we're putting uh, alternators in. Um, so that's great. We're putting new engine mounts on it. Uh, just kind of going through everything. But uh, it'll be have all new ignition wiring, new fuel pump, new uh, or new overhaul fuel pump, overhauled governor. So all of that I'm kind of forced to do because I don't know what has happened while it's been with the school 30 years. We've got to assume someone has touched everything. So we're forced to essentially conform every installation on this aircraft uh, for common sense and then also for safety for sure. Wow. And how about in the instrumentation? How are you going to lay out the cockpit? Okay. The cockpit, when we when we entered the aircraft, the cockpit was, uh, the aircraft was actually modified to have uh, weather radar. Um, the panel was a real hodgepodge. It had been chopped a few times. So what we did is we essentially uh, just did basically fabricated a brand new instrument panel. Um, the old instrument panel had the older, larger gyros and whatnot. So the folks in the crew, which had never done sheet metal work before, have built, I would say, a first-class um, instrument panel. We've got two six-packs, left side and right side. The left six-pack will be, uh, we're going to be putting some GI-275s in so that we are eliminating the vacuum system on the aircraft. Now, the vacuum system on your Cessna, you know, you have a vacuum pump, a little regulator, and a little uh, relief valve. This stuff is all big stuff, so we're actually removing a lot of claptrap, a lot of weight. The nose of the aircraft was originally full of power supplies and radios. The nose of the aircraft is currently empty. Absolutely empty. I have a pile that is massing about the size of a Volkswagen right now of all of the stuff that we've taken out of the aircraft. Um, we've taken five motor uh, inverters out of the aircraft. Each one of those is about 15, 10 to 15 pounds. So just all the dinosaur avionics. We're planning on uh, STEC. Genesis has uh, done a super job with us. We're putting an STEC 55 to replace the Lear Autopilot. Lear Autopilot was original equipment. And it was some big stuff. The computers, you know, the computers for those are about half the size of a suitcase. Um, each one of the computers, huge stuff. The amount of harnessing and all that is all being removed. And our new computer for the STEC is going to be a uh, turn coordinator and something the size of a transponder. And that'll be it. So not only are we getting new equipment, we're also removing a lot of the load on the aircraft bus. So it's uh, we're actually not going to be stressing the power system as much. So we've got that. Uh, we're going to go with uh, right now. We're going to go with a Garmin 430, Waz uh, 255 Navcom, and then probably 330ES. We'd love to put nice new stuff in, but we just don't have that budget. It really gets big. The other thing that is different from when you're fixing up your Cessna or Piper. This aircraft is 9,700 pounds, and because of FA certification, this bumps us into a class and category such that a GI-275 price for your 172, well, for us, it's twice the price because it's a different category of certification and level of uh, certification requirements with the FAA to Garmin and all the other companies. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I did some of the low-cost avionics work at, at EAA, and we were all talking about, oh, yeah, it's light airplanes and all that stuff. Well, you're not so much of a light airplane, so <laughs> that – Exactly. That, yeah. yeah, and it's just amazing how 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 much space those old analog um, 
electronic systems used to take up. I mean, you, you know, we can, you know, just in the last couple of decades, we've started to be able to get that kind of technology into our our small light GA stuff. Where you've got to remember that the air, the only aircraft they were able to have those kinds of systems back in the fifties were airplanes like the Twin Beach because the systems themselves were like the size of the cockpit on a one seventy two. Oh yeah, I mean, just as an example, the fuel flow. There's two fuel flow gauges. Actually, nah, there's one fuel flow gauge. The fuel flow gauge, there's a gauge, which is a, uh, it's an autosyn gauge, which is essentially, think of that as a motor. That is driven by the fuel flow, we'll call it a, the water wheel up on the firewall. Um, and that is an autosyn generator, which is just like a little generator. Just think a little AC generator or whatever. It generates a signal and goes to the gauge on the panel. And that water wheel thing is about mm, twice the size of your fist. And then yeah. the and then the auto sin gauge is about the size of a soda can. And the auto sin transmitter in the engine compartment is about half the size of a soda can. And then did I mention that there is a 400 cycle AC inverter, about a 15 pound unit in the cell that powers just that. So all of that is coming out and we've put Electronics International fuel flow, which you can essentially hold in your hand. So it's uh, it's that kind of stuff. Um, things such as the regulator system for the generators. The uh, aircraft originally had two 100 amp generators. You can imagine the, the bus requirements for that much avionics and electronics. Um, that's being replaced with two JASCO. Well, those old generators had carbon pile regulators in each wing route. It had reverse current relays in each wing route. It had equalizing resistors in each wing route. And those were all housed in a box in each wing route. Those, all of that stuff in the wing route is going to be replaced by a, a plain power regulator, which is about half the size of a pack of cigarettes. The equalizer circuit, instead of being manual resistors that have to be adjusted, is a piece of 18-gauge wire, and that's it. So the biggest thing, and this is the, the having a sit-down with the museum, I said, you know, my job is to hand off this aircraft to the museum or back to the museum, a an easy-to-maintain, simplified, and I'm not going to say modern, but we'll say contemporary aircraft that it will be maintained in as easily a fashion as possible so that you're not chasing around uh, some of these things. And we don't want to be down. We want to have the aircraft to be as up able as possible. So that's that's our goal. And to that end, the big thing on this is phase one is return to flight. So the paint is not going to be pretty. There probably won't be any interior in it. My goal is to have the cockpit complete. So I don't want to, I, I don't feel a need to go back into the cockpit for anything. So we're getting the, uh, the upholstery, the cockpit, the instrument panel, uh, the, any floor goods and whatnot, that will all be as far as I'm concerned, in the cockpit, we're going to try to have that as complete as possible for first flight. The cabin will probably be empty. The paint will be a little bit of a calico cat, but um, it will be uh, later on. Phase two will be returning the cabin to um, original. That'll be after we get flying. The seats, uh, again, as you would expect, they're decorated or upholstered in a very 1980s fire orange plaid whatever you call it. Uh, it looks like something out of an old, uh, Starsky and Hutch, uh, episode. <laughs> then, um, now you're talking. the, uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, and then, uh, and, and to that end, uh, you know, 
you, you got to learn uh, exactly you know what to ask for. Duncan Aviation had been kind enough to supply the uh, floor goods, wall goods, ceiling, and seat all the seat textiles and fabrics uh, from their completion center up in Battle Creek. They donated all of that to us with all the fire blocking certification and all of that material. Because when they do a Global Express or Falcon, something like that, you know, their leftovers can do about three of our aircraft. So they were kind enough to give us that. Uh, Bill, who's the uh, director of operations, Bill Gorin, he called me up and said, hey, um, is is gray an okay color for the interior of the uh, of the Hollywood bomber? I said, free is the color I'm looking for. That's <laughs> That's fantastic. It's awesome to see people stepping up and helping. And, uh, and you know, Bill, we're running up against the clock here. We are definitely yeah. going to uh, check back in with you down the road. We hope to see her at Oshkosh oh, at some do. point. And, uh, um, you know, thank you guys for stepping in and saving a piece of history, though. Well, thanks so much. And again, uh, the, the point, I think the, the point that everybody needs to remember, and you guys know this for sure, is we can't do this stuff without volunteers. The uh, the volunteer cadre we have at our our uh, little museum here in Fort Worth is absolutely world class. I can't be more thankful than being gifted with the, the folks that show up every Friday and Saturday. We're getting in about 120 to 150 man hours a week, every week. We've probably got, I think we're up to about 17, 1800 man hours, and we've probably got another 1500 to go. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. Well, again, thank you for, for coming on, sharing some time. Thank you to those volunteers out there uh, working on that historic airplane. Can't wait to see it in the skies. Uh, for all those uh, listening, we thank you for your support of the Green Dot, for the kind comments that you guys uh, send in. Uh, please keep those coming. Those comments help uh, uh, help us keep the show going and keep it on track to make sure we're hitting your marks for you. Um, so thanks to everybody that works behind the scenes like Scott to make sure that we're not just uh, two guys in a room talking. Um, and uh, again, thank you for your support. We look forward to talking with you when you're cleared to land on the green dot.